0: Happy Father's Day to everybody. Welcome to Radius. My good? Yep, I'm good. Father's Day, uh, one of the cool parts about being here on a Father's Day is uh, a lot of you dads in the room chose to be here on Father's Day. It makes a statement. It really does. Appreciate you. Uh, most of us, dads in the room, we're doing this together. So it's a struggle. All of us do it uh in imperfect ways, but I appreciate you, appreciate you uh, battling for your families. Uh, these days we have all kind of variety of ways that shakes out, right? Sometimes that's in a very, very normal family where it's a husband and wife. Sometimes single moms, you just, you, you kind of carrying some of daddy duty. Uh, we got single dads in this room working it out, working it out, trying to be good fathers. So it's, it's a different kind of world, but appreciate the days of day, dads, we really appreciate you you uh we're in a world that uh kind of constantly depicts men as immature and unable to unable to deliver um i appreciate you you're here i grew up in l.d reeve's house larry reeve's house and uh, dad was you know he's his own unique character every, every day i does it different but i'm gonna tell you something like th- this was never an option like we were here on Sundays it was uh, at Larry Reeves house if we were on vacation and the beach house ran over to Sunday then we're gonna miss the last 12 hours we're gonna get in the car Saturday night we're gonna drive all the way home because we were gonna be at church on Sunday some of y'all grew up in house like that right and we were at Sunday school and then we went to church and then then we had Sunday night service and we went to that and then Wednesday night we were gonna be there too and it, it really Dad wasn't like the negotiating type, right? So there was no, no negotiation. You just, just going to be there. And at times, uh, man, as a kid, I really I didn't get that. I didn't, I didn't understand. No, I, I did it because I didn't really have a choice. But I didn't understand. And as I grew into my 20s, you know, I more and more became convinced that knowing Jesus was not all about being at church on Sundays. And, and I started kind of going down that road, and that's certainly true. Knowing Jesus is, 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 about, is about speaking to him and listening from a word and having a personal relationship. But as I've grown older, what I, I learned a ton from my father and his discipline to not, not just have us in church, but so that me as a child could see what was important. And to my father, worshiping God was more important than anything else. And one of the ways he demonstrated it was by being disciplined and pushing me as a 2-year-old, 12-year-old, 15-year-old to be here. It wasn't perfect. He would tell you right now it wasn't perfect. But here's what was never in doubt. What was most important to Larry Reeves was God and his relationship to God and by simply taking this disciplined step and and getting us in a situation like this as a family it was a statement as a kid it was an undeniable statement you would never say that anything else in this world was more important to my dad than God and there wasn't much more doubt that, that the next most important thing was us he didn't say that a whole lot it wasn't like he was loving us and giving us hugs all the time but it was really clear that he loved God and he was here because he loved God so dad's in the room this is your day you chose to be here. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. We, we don't have like, if you, if you know the radius culture, we, it's not like a guilt trip culture where if you miss a Sunday, you know, and like ain't nobody calling or anything. I mean, we, we can probably figure that out, put a camera up here. That's not what we're about. That's not who we are. But let me just say for the fathers in the room, just thinking about my dad on Father's Day, he set the culture. He was the door to our home. And he, he only allowed in what he thought was good for the family. Now, you, you can only do that to a degree, right? Because folks sneak in a variety of other ways. But, but that was my home. So I appreciate you fighting for it because that's what I do. I fight for it. I fail a lot, but I fight for it. Let me pray. Jesus, uh, you know us dads in the room. I really, I really want you to encourage each dad in the room this morning. I say encouraged, Lord, I really mean encouraged. I hope you'll pat them on the back and slap them on the butt if necessary, Lord, and just encourage them to keep on, to keep on working, regardless of their situation, where it's at and how complicated it might be right now. I pray that they would, they would fight for it. I look at a few men just walking in the door that I weren't fighting for it a couple years ago and are fighting for it now, and I, I love that, Lord. Lord, pat them on the back this morning, please. Lord, we got some young dads in the room that don't even know what they're doing yet. And just pray you would coach them up, Lord. And today would be an encouragement to them. Appreciate the men in this room. Lord, we want to honor you with how we lead our families. Uh, Help us. We need it. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you haven't been here in a while, if you're new, we've been going through uh, John and and, uh, we've been going through these statements that Jesus made just recently where Jesus says, I am, and he'll put something at the end. The first one was, I am the bread of life. The second one was, I am the light of the world. And today he's going to make this statement. I think it's great for Father's Day. He's going to say that I am the door. Depends on your translation. We're going to read out of NLT, which he says, I am the gate. Um, old. If you grew up with King James, he says "door." The ESV says "door," but it, nonetheless, he, he's this picture of, of of a door that that separates one spot from another. Let, let me read to you John chapter ten. Jesus says. I tell you the truth. If you got the King James, he says, verily, verily. I used to, I never knew what that meant as a kid, but somebody'd be up front and they'd be reading, verily, verily, and you go, that sounds important. Somebody says something twice like that. Well, it is. It's the truth. He's about to make a strong statement. Jesus always tells the truth. He's never lying, but he's making a strong statement here. Let me just give you a little advice. Don't say, hey, and I'm not lying now. You know, we got all these little phrases that indicate people say, bro, I'm not even lying. I'm like, so. When are you telling the truth? I mean, because you keep saying you're not lying now. So Anyway, uh, stuff drives me crazy. But Jesus says, I'll tell you the truth like to make a statement. Verily, verily, anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. Let me just, before we even get, get going good, let me just highlight that word sneaks. In the NLT, which I liked in the NLT. Anyone who sneaks over the wall in the sh- of the sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. Let me just say, everybody of dating age, don't raise your hand. Everybody of dating age, because in my house that's like 32. No, I'm just kidding, obviously. <laughs> Anybody of dating age in the room, you need to hear, hear what he just said. It's just like a proverb. It's just the truth. Anybody who doesn't come in through the door and sneaks to have a relationship with you. He's a thief and a robber. Right? It don't matter whether you're a single lady, a single again lady, a single guy. It don't matter whether you're 40 or 14. If somebody is not willing to come through the front door to have a relationship with you, they're going to take you. It's not complicated. Us older people in the room can nod our heads, cause we've seen it over and over and over. Young ladies, if the dude tries to sneak around your dad or your mom to have a relationship with you, and it's all in the hidden spots, he's about to take your stuff, cause all he's about is himself. Hey, this this thing flips male female. It, it, like, there, there's wolves and there's male wolves and, and female wolves. They're gonna take your stuff. If they don't come through the front door, just a common, (laughs) simple understanding right out of the bat. Dad's in the room. and You got young kids and you're going zero to five. I don't have teenagers, so I don't have to worry about something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We start like out the gate, establishing a culture of not sneaking, not allowing anything to sneak. You the door to your household. So zero to five, we are establishing a culture in our homes that takes a ton of energy. Every older dad in the room, we're looking like, yeah, bro, you got no idea. And if you got a child from zero to five in the room, this is the time, bro. This is the time to have energy. That means when discipline's got to happen at your house, your lazy boy's got to click. It means it's got, my, I pull a hamstring every time I click that thing now, but it's just, you got to get up. You got to do something. You hear your wife handling something on the other side of the house, and you're sitting there, you got to get up. Everybody's got to know you got energy for the culture of your home. If you don't have energy for the culture at home, it's going to go to pot in a hurry because it takes energy to hold down. We're not just talking about this one. We talking about affection. For me, discipline came a lot easier when the kids were little. Affection was really difficult because I, I just didn't know how to do that. So I went and found somebody who did. And I learned from him and I had to force myself really to hold and hug. That didn't come natural; It felt awkward. But it was hugely important from zero to five for me to establish a culture. A culture of hope, a culture of health, because then then when they're 15 and you start you start figuring out how to build this door and when to open and when to close it. That now it's built on all these years that we put in when they're from zero to five. Uh, One of the things that happens, I see it happening a lot in our world. All you got to do is pull up the Internet and, like, search stuff for babies. Like, it feels like 90% of it is they're selling it to you out of fear, right? Like, they sell you this because they're they're actually trying to argue that your child is going to get sick, lose their life, and there's this whole industry built around taking your money, your good money, By using fear of you losing this one that you love. It's like off the chain right now. Some of the stuff they've invented lately, I'm like, what in the world child ever did that? Maybe one in a million. And then they sell it like it happens on a daily basis. Let me tell you, fathers in the room, part of your job is to protect your family. But you also got to protect your family from living in fear. Because Cheryl's job, what's Cheryl's job? She, she's got this nest and she's got these babies in it and she's in protection mode. She's going to take care of these babies. So as the father of the home, I got to make sure she don't protect too good. Because if she protects too good, when they finally leave the nest, they're not going to know how to live. They're going to crash and burn. So I got to make sure that we don't buy all this junk on the Internet just because she said we should. Because her job's to protect, and that's the way her thing's driving. I can't be the passive dude in the house and not stand up. I got to stand up and say, baby, you cursing our kid. Probably don't want to use these words. Baby, you, you um, curse is probably not the right word. Baby, I know you love the kids, and you're trying to protect the kids, but we protect them too much. We're really cursing them in the future. Like, we're going to put them in danger when they're in their teens. Well, so is this interesting thing for you guys that are dads of zero to five. Oh, there's work to be done. You got to have energy. You got to have game, boy. You got to have game. This is a church where we want to teach you to do that. We want to give you permission. We want to help. We need some dads to help lead their families. All right, so we got this. These crazy verses. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold rather than going through the gate uh, must, must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the, uh, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. Beautiful passage. And he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. You, you picture it a little bit. And after he's gathered his own flock He walks ahead of them And they follow him Because they know his voice And they uh, They won't follow a stranger They'll run from him Because they don't know his They don't know his voice Verse 6 Those who heard Jesus Use this illustration Didn't understand what he meant <laughs> What's new Right Jesus tells a story uh, One of the translations says the figure of speech Those who heard this figure of speech Didn't understand what Jesus was saying So let's take apart the components There's a sheepfold did y'all catch that in the story? There's a sheepfold. I've never seen a sheet fold. You seen a sheepfold? All you gotta do is Google it. It'll give you like twelve pictures. Almost all of them are rectangular. They're built out of stone, and they have a little opening at the end of the stone rectangular. It's like a fence. Back in the day, it was built out of stone, and it would be a variety of heights, three, six. Some of them would actually have a door where the stones actually were enclosed over top. but Some of the walls were really tall, and most towns would have a sheep's goat, I mean, a, a, a sheep's fold. And the sheep's fold was a place where the, where the shepherds would put their sheep at night. So if you were a shepherd, and lots of folks were shepherds. So in our culture, you'd bring up sheep's fold, and you're like, what are you talking about, bro? I ain't never even heard of them. In their culture, it's like an icon. Every village had one everybody's got a sheep because there's so many shepherds and at night the shepherds would put their sheep in the sheep's fold and they would shut the gate and protect them overnight and during the day they would lead them back back out into pasture so they could eat and be healthy so just a normal thing you you, you feel there's a sheep there's a sheep fold there's a gate a lot of times it was wooden Sometimes they would say the shepherds, they'd be out and they'd pick a cave that had just a tiny little opening and they would use that as their their sheep's fold. And they put the sheep in there at night and the shepherd would lay in the door. He would be the door. Pretty cool. Pretty cool for this story and how, how it works out. He would be the door. So there's the gate. There's thieves and robbers. There's poachers. There's people that take your stuff to serve themselves. There's a shepherd. There's some sheep. And there's a gatekeeper. Gatekeeper, we probably ought to put a capital G on because it seems like the story implies that the gatekeeper is God. The sheep is pretty obvious as we read it. The sheep are us, the people, they're me and you. Sometimes we probably take a little offense to that because I don't know if you've ever had any sheep, but sheep are stupid, right? Every pastor likes to talk about how stupid sheep are. I don't know why, but they're just dumb. They get lost a lot. You know why? Because while they're eating, they don't look up. They just keep eating. I'm going to tell you right now, some Reeves sons, if they get off the ground, they get lost too. Because while they're focused at the meal, we don't talk, we eat. That's what we do. But the sheep just, they wander around eating. They get lost, and the shepherd's got to go find them. They're not the brightest, necessarily, animals in, in the animal kingdom. Matter of fact, some would say they're the dumbest. But let me say this. They have tremendous value in that culture. Sometimes we focus in on their intelligence. But when we hear this story, we ought to understand that in ancient culture... Sheep had great value You get wool from sheep You get food from sheep Sheep reproduce, produce more sheep And, and, and eventually you become wealthy You got enough sheep that was, it, was, it was a standard of, of, of cash So when you, you think about sheep and a shepherd It ought to produce this picture When God compares us to sheep He actually sees you with great value You were made in his own image He sees you with value and a lot of times the shepherds would be known for how much they love their sheep. They actually had a relationship with their sheep. They knew their sheep. And that's the story that the writer is trying to portray of Jesus, that he's the shepherd. He loves the sheep and you have great value to him. Let me let me drop this. So he tells the story and he doesn't explain the story. He's going to do that in verse seven. I got to get there, but let me drop it. Remember last week we finished chapter nine where Jesus healed a blind man. But I remember that at the end, I rushed through it, but he healed this blind man. And as soon as he starts ready to heal this blind man, what do the disciples say? The disciples say about the blind man who sinned his mother and father or him who, who's a sinner because clearly somebody sinned because this guy's blind. Soon after that, the Pharisees speak to the blind man and they say, You were born into total sin. If you were born blind, something bad happened in your life, you obviously did something bad. What theology is that? That's karma. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. That's how it works, right? That that's the karma theology. Interesting, this is this is the Jewish nation, and they've downloaded karma as their core ideology that's how they operate you do good you get good you do bad you get bad that thing sneak up on you a little bit too when i read chapter nine and i see the culture the culture that jesus is speaking into right now where he heals this blind guy it's this culture that's built around it's built around karma what's some dangerous stuff that comes out of that these days that's where the prosperity gospel comes from do good get good put 10 in get 100 out what's that say it says the king couldn't ask everything from me and not give anything back king asked what he wants to ask and i'm supposed to deliver he can have all of my stuff reality it was already his he can have it all and i don't expect something better back i might not get anything back it puts him in the side position, puts me in the low position. Now, we have a good king and a good father and a good shepherd, and he often returns stuff for our, when we're faithful. But he doesn't always, we don't want to put that expectation. What else does it do? There's a competitive nature to it. So I'll look over, or, or maybe you'll look over and you go, how does that woman have a good husband? That ain't right. I know her. She shouldn't have a good husband, and we compete inside. And that joker just gets off the rails and ugly, doesn't it? Or we look over and we see this guy, and he's got a nicer car and more stuff. Then why is that dude rich? I know that dude. God, look at what I've done, and look at what he, why has he got a nicer vehicle than I got? And all of a sudden, that thing just starts going all kinds of different ways. And when Jesus actually said the world would know us by our love for one another, all of a sudden, we're competing with one another because our theology's off, because we believe good equals good and bad equals bad. And at some level, that means that I could earn the right to have a relationship with God, which is heresy. There is no chance I could ever be good enough to present myself before a holy God. It's uh, really dangerous when it comes to suffering, isn't it? When we suffer, when something goes wrong, when we have pain, then we start asking ourselves this question of, Why do I have pain and he or she doesn't have pain? What did I do wrong to get this pain? Because I had to do something wrong to get into this painful situation. And and that joker just comes completely off the tracks. And we end up distancing ourselves from God. Because we feel like we must have displeased him. so we just don't want to relate to him. That is not what this thing teaches. Let me read you, uh, C.S. Lewis is a, a great scholar. He, he'd be the smartest guy in this room. He was a great atheist first. And he tried to disprove the scriptures, and then he became a believer, and he had some great statements. He's probably the most quoted guy uh, these days. C.S. Lewis said this, The Christian does not think that God will love us because we are good. Everybody hear that? got to repeat it, memorize it, put it in your soul. The Christian does not think that God will love us because we are good. That's not how we're supposed to think. But that God will make us good because he loves us. Now we ain't this, we're not putting distance between us and becoming good, but his love creates goodness out of us. He doesn't love us because we're good. I love I-, I listened to this young preacher on this on these verses this week. He's from the village church in Dallas. And I didn't get his name. He used like all the time. I do know that. Like every three words, he used like, 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 like. And, and it, it was hilarious. I started laughing. But, but he had some great points. And one of the things he said at one point, he says, you dumped grace and you went back to karma. And I thought, that's brilliant. I like that. Because a lot of us, we got saved by grace. And Jesus saved us out of the messy person that we were. And he saved us and gave us life. And we embraced grace. And she became our girl. But then we start walking with for a little while and we dump grace and we go back to karma. And we go back to what's good, I get good, and what's bad, I get bad. And we forget that I never, ever had the right to have a relationship with the Holy God outside of Jesus and His grace that gave me entrance into the Father's presence. I don't ever want to go back to that because karma condemns me. Because when you look at all my bad, my good just don't match up. You might be able to lie to yourself better. I can't. When I look at karma, I'm in trouble. That theology kind of snuck up on you? It certainly sneaks in on the church. A lot of things we say sound like that's the way it works. Now, don't get me wrong. The Proverbs say, if I save some money, that's wise. Right? I, I can save some money for the future, and that's wise, and I protect my family. There's all these proverbs and they play out most of the time, but I don't deserve it. It's not like God owes it to me because I did good to get good. It's often the way the world works, but it's not always. It's confusing when we overstate it. So we come to verse thirty eight. We're still in chapter 9. I got carried away. Verse 38. And uh, this blind man, he's interacting with Jesus. Jesus went and found him, which is really cool. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? The the blind man says, who is he, sir? I want to believe. And Jesus said, it's me. In verse 38, the blind man said, yes, Lord, I believe, the man said. And he worshiped Jesus. So let me say something to you. You could believe for the first time today. You could decide that you believe in Jesus the first time, and you'd be welcome to worship. Matter of fact, we probably had be difficult for us to hold you back from worshiping. And Jesus told him, I entered the world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. So I came to heal the blind and everybody who thinks they see, I'm trying to convince they're, that them they're blind so I can heal them. C.S. Lewis. The brilliant atheist would have walked into this room and he would have been way smarter than me And he would have heard this message and he would have picked it apart maybe like some of y'all are But he would have come into the world blind But he would have thought he could see and finally the holy spirit broke in on this brilliant man and explained to him How bad he needed the savior and he believed That same thing's got to happen with us. If you came in the room you think you can see but you don't really know jesus just stew on that a little bit some pharisees were standing nearby and heard him and asked are you saying we're blind you ever had somebody kind of smart off to you sideways and you're like did you just did did you say i was blind are you calling me blind i got a phd in theology you call me blind and jesus i want you to catch this He's going we're gonna read verse 41 from chapter 9 and we're just gonna keep reading because there's no true break Everybody understands that I hope in here. This battery's in my way Everybody understands I hope that these these divisions weren't in the original John just wrote a letter, right? He just wrote it all the way through it was written in Greek. There's no chapter 9 There's no chapter 10. It just keeps rolling and in this case Sometimes the breaks actually show that there's a time change in this case There is no clear break between chapter 9 and chapter 10. It just keeps rolling so when we read these verses about jesus claiming to be the gate then we want to read it in context to how it works so when it comes down through here the pharisees who were standing there say are you calling me blind and jesus says if you were blind you would you would be you wouldn't be guilty but you remain guilty because you claim you can see i tell you the truth verily verily let me tell you something for real Anyone who who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. Exclamation point. What's he saying? (laughs) He's trying to be sweet about it, but he just called them thief and robbers, right? He just (laughs) said, bro, I mean, I know y'all can't understand me, but you just keep on taking these people for everything they got. You a thief and a robber. You all about yourself. You just religious. You stealing everything they got. It's intense You feel the intensity And then Jesus goes on to tell the story You talk about a powerful person in the room He's telling the story And he puts weight on the story And these guys are feeling it He's calling them the thief and the robbers And you got the blind man standing right there beside him The ex-blind man He used to be blind And, and these people are listening And the story goes on And we come to verse 7 It's kind of broken in three sections You got kind of verse 1 to 6 Where Jesus tells this story This figure of speech Verse 7, he starts to explain the figure of his speech. And in this part, he'll say, I am the gate. In verse 11, he's going to say, I am the good shepherd. What kind of story is this? How many stories are you telling? You're like two different things in the story. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm the gate and I'm the shepherd. Well, we can't do that because we're just regular people. This is God, though. This is Jesus, the son of God. I'm the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. Verse 11, and I am the gate. Verse 7, check it out. Verse 7. I tell you the truth, verily, verily. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. I, I never noticed this before, but you catch that little phrase? All who came before me. Some of y'all got saved in your 20s. Could you make a list? All who came before Jesus? Like all the ones who claimed to have answers. All all the pretenders, the poachers. You might have some real names. Like you might name some people. Don't do that out loud. But you're not saying some people that just took you. But you also might name fame. Deep desire to be important. This thing that used to drive me to post about myself all the time because I was trying to be important because I didn't know who I was. So I'd over, over promote who I am. And instead... Then Jesus came, and he explained to me that my identity was in him. And so I no longer, that's who used to be, all all who came before me. Maybe it was pleasure, right? Maybe pleasure was your driving force, is what you were all about. And she kept or he kept climbing over the wall and coming in, and and you felt kind of happy in the moment, but it just, it never fulfilled you. And you'd say all that came before me were thieves and robbers. that always took from me. I always at the end felt empty. I always felt like I was a loser when I finished whatever that was. Maybe it was dollars. And dollars can be in greed or it could be in security. But my whole life was centered on becoming secure as a family. Or we were greedy. We had to have more. I had to have one more thing in the garage. And at the end, when I get that one more thing and be in my garage, and just never satisfied. And Jesus says, all who came before me were thieves and robbers. But who's he really pointing at? Religious folks. Folks that are offering some kind of competitive edge in some weird religious competition. Where I'm better than you and that makes me acceptable for God, which is just foolishness because we all come up so short and he's just drilling them again read on i tell you the truth i am the gate for the sheep all who came before me were thieves and robbers but the true sheep did not listen to him i got this picture of jesus he's standing the true sheep and chuckling a little bit the true sheep did not listen to him and he pulls up the ex-blind man and maybe points at him, you got the Pharisees over here and you got a bunch of people over here. And here's a blind guy who can now see an ex blind guy, a seeing blind guy. He pulls him up and he goes, but the true sheep, I mean, this guy, he, you know, he's a third grade graduate, right? My grandfather used to me he, he took the third grade seven times. They kicked him out when he started shaving. But anyway, there, there's, a, there's a, it's a third grade graduate. You got the PhDs over here who can't see. And you got the third grade graduate who can see. And Jesus says, but the true sheep. They're not buying. They hear the voice. They eventually hear the voice of the true shepherd. This uh goes on, and they will come and he says, and yet yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. Good news, be saved, huh? Some of y'all been saved? It must be Father's Day. It's quiet in here. Uh When you think it's saved, you think it's safe. Dad's in the room. We have this high calling to keep our family safe. And so in a lot of ways, you function as the door. Some of you single moms, you do it. Appreciate you. Dad's in the room to do it. You you function as the door, and your job is to keep the family safe. I go stay with my dad. He's 73. Every once in a while, I'll stay over at his house. Every couple years, for some reason, we'll be there. For some reason there, I sleep like a baby. He's 73. He's been sick for six, for six years. He swears he's not sick. Is that just the nature of anybody? He, he swears he's not sick. If somebody breaks into my dad's house, I got to go get him. But for some reason, I sleep good there because my old man's there. I feel safe. He's the door. He's got it blocked. At my house, I don't sleep near as good. Cheryl always wants to run a daggum fan. I want to hear. I want to hear what's coming in the door. I got to get up and go get that. Now I got a bunch of teenage sons, so I'm planning on the way to get them. I'm be yelling names like, y'all better come. <laughs> Dad ain't got quite what he used to be, so y'all better come on. But, but it's my job. and then I'm responsible. You're responsible to be the door for my home. I think uh, we get a little addicted to be excited about protecting that guy's. And forget that protecting is about setting a culture, a safe culture, so that my kids understand what's dangerous. That's my job. Uh, Mariah, we go to the movies one night, and uh, I don't remember what we went to see, but we, we get in line, and there's a cute little couple in their teens in front of us. I, Mariah's probably 14, maybe 15. We're going to the movies, and cute little couple and they're bantering back and forth, and they get up to pay for their ticket. And and the little girl goes up and pays for her ticket and then the dude goes up and pays for her his ticket. I looked at Mariah, Mariah's watching everything they do. I put my hand on her, I said, baby, that ever happens. You're like, what happens, Dad? If the dude ever doesn't pay for your ticket, you call me, I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna pick you up. We're going somewhere else. I'll take you somewhere better. You know why? Because I'm the door, Jack. I got this thing. I'm gonna go ahead and young ladies in the room. Dude takes you to movies and he doesn't get you a bag of popcorn and pay himself. You can call my personal line. Call your daddy. I'll come get you. I'll come in the theater and we will make him look the fool. Because somebody needs to put some pressure on these rascals. They think they can just come take what they want and not pay the bill. What the heck? Thank you, brother. That's a culture of protection. That's not just me standing at the door and doing my, you know, somebody coming to my house. That's me establishing in my kids' minds and souls how this is going to work, that I got you, that I got your back. And that's not just about little girls. That's about, about the young men in my home as well. It's establishing this culture. One, you're going to pay the bill, bro. don't you to take nobody else. So you're going to understand that side. But on, on the flip side is I got your back. One of the cool things my dad used to do, he wouldn't let me practice on Sundays. So um, I hated telling the coach I couldn't practice on Sundays. And he would always say, just tell him your dad won't let you. He would say, take my name and put it in there. It was a great gift to me as a kid. I ain't love his system at the moment, but at least so, so that he could help me, he would say, throw me under the bus. This is the way I run my home. You throw me under. I'm the door to this house. I set the culture. I'll be accountable. You help me. And uh, it was a great gift. That's my job. It's my job at my house. Dad, that's your job at your house. You're establishing it now. It doesn't stop. Best I can tell. Because we got several fathers in here. You, you, you've done the grandfather thing and everything. This thing just doesn't go away. I, it seems like responsibility just stays. And I, I continue to have this responsibility to create safety and protection for my family. But let me create some tension here. Because the verses do. He says... I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. What? You mean they're going to come in and they're not going to stay in? We're going to send them back out. They're going to come and go freely and they will find good pastures. And then the next verse, the thief's purpose is to steal and to to kill and to destroy. My purpose, the gate, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. What does that mean? That means that at my house, it's my job. It's a job that I want to fight for. I want to keep porn out of my house. You want to see me angry? If that ever comes in my house, I'm angry. So everything's set up. So I'm the best I can do. I want to control all that. I want to be on. That's my job. I'm the door. Dad, you can't just push that off. That's your job, bro. That's your job. So I fight for that. But if I fight for that, and that's all that I'm about, and I don't show my kids that there could be a great physical relationship with a woman. If they can't see that that my sex life is good, and I'm just going to keep saying no, and I don't give this, then what the heck? That doesn't work. Jesus says, I'm the door. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to save you. And then I'm going to give you an abundant life. It's abundant, like you're going to have more than the people that have been coming over the walls keep telling you, I'm going to give you more. It's going to be better. Not just here on earth, so I can't be with my daughter singing a country song. I clean my gun when the guy comes in and sitting on the front porch with a shotgun. Unless baby girl can look at me and say, I, will, I hope I marry a man like my daddy. Because when she's dreaming about marrying a guy like her daddy, that gives me the authority to hold the door. I'm giving her a gift. I'm not just making a rule. I'm giving her a gift. And so wedding day a few days ago, I can stand up here. And what was so cool was Timmy came through my door. This baby girl, when my rule was in high school, they had to call me if they want to take out my teenage daughter. So they had to call me. I got three calls. Or a whole, it really works. You might want to download this. Or you could just negotiate down, fathers, whatever you want to do. But uh, they had to call me. And when they called, I put on my extra low, rough voice. And I, just, I was nice, but I was direct. And when I'd ask questions, I got three calls. And I offered all three of them to come to my house and eat supper. And so, again, you can negotiate down from this. As Mariah didn't always love this. But I would say, yeah, you come to the house, we'll have supper. And, oh, I got five sons. You can sit with them. <laughs> right? And then we had, we had this thing. <laughs> that's you know, it worked. I love that. But so she goes to college. And she didn't always love that. And a couple times, guys try to sneak in. Because that's the way it works. People want to take your stuff. She comes to college and she meets this young man that now we call her husband. I call him my son-in-law. And uh, she calls me. Again, I don't know who she's eating with or hanging with, but she wants Timmy to call me. that's, That's good stuff, man. She wanted this was the right guy. This was the guy that met the standards that we set, the culture that we set. And she wanted him to go through the door. She wasn't worried about me holding him out. She just wanted me to see him. She just wanted... I ain't cried all during the wedding. <clears throat> <laughs> she just wanted to have the joy of me approving. She wasn't questioning whether I was going to approve. She was expecting me to approve. And that's what made a wedding so much... Brought so much joy to my soul. Because it was right. It was abundant life. It was this connection of me being the door that protects, but it also leads out into abundant life. <laughs> well, if you know me and you know my story, that is a very flawed story. I struggle. I don't do it right all the time. But I fight for it. So dad's in the room. I appreciate you. You fight for it. And we work at it. And we get back up. And we, we try to do it right. So I was reading through this and I was thinking about Jesus being the door. So one passage came to mind. It's Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. It's actually written to the church. I think a lot of times we use it as a gospel verse, which it isn't really. It's in the red print. I've used it as a gospel verse, but it's not really what it was intended to. It's written to the church. And Jesus says, Look, I memorize this. Behold, behold, feels a whole lot better. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. So, how does that work? He says, Behold, I stand at the door, no- and if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. I just pictured it this week as a hotel room. You know, when you go in the hotel room, first thing you do is you turn around, and there's like 12 locks. And some of them jokes are stout. And so you come in the whole hotel room, you lock it all down. But if you're with your family, sometimes they got this other door, and, and there's two doors that open. You know, one opens to each room. And I had this picture of Jesus being in this room and me being in this hotel room. And the thieves and the robbers, they always want to come through the main door right here. So I got that joker locked down. But Jesus, when he moves into his room, he makes this offer to me. And he opens his door. As a matter of fact, I had this picture of Jesus smiling with a hammer and a a screwdriver. And he's knocking the pins out of the door. And he's setting it out because it ain't never going to shut again. Once he saved me, that door stays open open and i'm in i'm saved i have access all the time anytime i want to be in there but oftentimes i'll stay in my side of the room and i'll lock my little door on my side even though i have been given access and i'm saved i'll stay with my smoke stained ceiling in there with my thumb on the daggone remote looking at a little tv screen thinking that this is life when jesus is just on the other side of the door He's banging on the door, saying, "I'm standing at the door. I've already done all the work. The door's open. Just, just come on over here, and we'll have a relationship. And I'll show you real life, and you, you, can stop living this little virtual life that sucks. Come on over here and experience life. On this, it's not Disney World. Don't be, don't be. I mean, it's not. You go to Disney World, and everything's built around you, and everything's given to you. It's more like the Grand Canyon. You walk in the door, and you see majesty. But you could fall down and scrape your knee." I just saw a friend of mine took his boy on a 35-mile hike at the Grand, Grand Canyon. He comes into the Grand. You come into Jesus' room, and he takes you on a hike. You might fall. It might be difficult. It's not always fun. Sometimes you fail. It doesn't always work, but you're with Jesus, and you're in the Grand Canyon. Instead of in this little, tiny little cell of a room, trying to stay happy. By trying to meet all of your needs, and you got these jokers constantly trying to work their way through the other door. If you move into the other room, they got no access. And you go on a hike with Jesus, and all of a sudden you have abundant life. Not boring life. It frustrates me that we as followers of Jesus are seen as boring people. Has my walk with Jesus been anything but boring? it has been full of life. It's not been easy. But it is good. He's the door. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you. I dig it's hard to make sense of you because you're so far beyond us. So we as a group, we worship you. We say that you're the great door. We thank you for opening the door so that we can be saved. And be safe and protected. We also thank you for sending us out and creating an opportunity for abundant life. And we confess, many of us, that often we're just satisfied with the old and we're a little afraid of experiencing the new. Empower our dads in the room, Lord. You, you know us. We, we, we struggle. Lord, pray that you give energy to each father, young and old, to stay in it, to keep fighting for it. we got some moms in this room that carry the weight on all sides, Give them energy to keep in it, keep fighting for it. We got situations that are really complex, and I can't, I, I can't understand, but you can. Where you can help fathers that are separated from their kids be good fathers. You can, you can uh, help broken, broken situations be healthy because that's who you are, Lord. You you deal with the broken all the time. We love you. We call you great. Amen.